Good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here. It's a rainy spring day, but we're glad that you've chosen to be here today. We're so grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We'd love to have you at any opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 22, the passage that Danton read a moment ago. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 12 down through the end of the chapter. And the topic that we will discuss today, last words. You ever wondered what your last words will be in this life? I was reading this past week, Frank Sinatra, whom many of you remember, a singer, actor, entertainer, his last words, I'm losing it. James Brown, another singer, entertainer, said, I'm going away tonight. John Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, responded to a statement, you cannot say that Dallas hasn't given you a nice welcome. President Kennedy said, no, you certainly can't. Joe DiMaggio, many of you recall a New York Yankee, great baseball player, said, I'll finally get to see Maryland. What will your last words be? In Revelation chapter 22, we have what I would call some last words. And really, it's as if John in the Revelation is putting an exclamation mark on everything that he said thus far. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were suffering. Some of those who received this letter, some were under siege, persecuted horrifically. And then there were those that had already been martyred for the cause of Christ. And so in the Revelation, John is writing and basically saying, look, what you need to do is hold on and go on. To sum it up in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And so in Revelation chapter 22, there are some last words. I want you to think with me for just a moment or two. First, there is what I would call the final promise. And again, we talk about final words, last words. First, there is the final promise. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 12. Here we have Jesus speaking. And he said, Behold, I'm coming quickly or suddenly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his works. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. First, we think about the suddenness of His coming. The Bible speaks of Jesus coming again. As a matter of fact, Jesus, on many occasions, talked about His future return. One of the things that He said is that it would be abrupt. In other words, it would be at a day, an hour, a time 
in which no one was expecting him. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In Matthew 25, verse 13, he said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So when we talk about the suddenness of his coming, and Jesus here said, I come quickly, and the idea again is that he will come suddenly. He's going to come at a time when people are least expecting him. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter addressed those who were asking the question, where is the promise of his coming? A lot of folks wonder, when will Jesus come? Well, the Bible says he will come, we just don't know when. So it will be abrupt, but then what the Bible says is you need to be alert to his coming. In other words, you need to be vigilant, you need to be ready, you need to be prepared. Again, think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. When Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, he said the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Thieves come when people least expect them. And so all the Bible is saying is, look, you need to be on guard. You need to be ready. So I think about the suddenness, suddenness of His coming and then the surety of His coming. How can I be sure that Jesus will indeed come again? Well, I think there are a number of ways. First, you need to think about the fact that Jesus will come visibly. That's what John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. John said that Jesus is indeed coming. Now we ask again, how can we be sure? Well, look if you would at verse, drop down and look at Revelation 22 in verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Back in verse 5 of chapter 21, when John is writing about the new Jerusalem, this heavenly city, in verse 5, he said, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So whatever the Lord has said or revealed in His Word, you can mark it down. It's sure. It's certain. So we think about the surety of His coming. First, it'll be visible. Secondly, it will be audible, won't it? John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Every eye shall see Him. Those, on, those out in the east... Those in the west, those to the north, those to the south, every eye shall see him. And then, what about audibly? Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, said that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. So you think about Jesus coming. Every eye shall see him, every ear shall hear him, will they not? That's what Paul is saying. And so you talk about the surety of His coming, to know that Jesus will indeed come. Second thing I want you to see in our study. First we talk about the final promise, but then consider, if you would, the final pronouncement. Look at verses 14 and 15. John writes, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates 
into the city. First, John addresses here the destiny of the saved. What he is saying is that the saved, they have the hope of heaven, don't they? Listen again. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. First, the saved will be found faithful. Why will they be found faithful? Because they will be found putting into practice the commands of the Son of God. He said, blessed are those who do His commandments. There's something to be said for putting into practice what the Lord says. In Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus preached what we typically call the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. One of the ways that we demonstrate our allegiance to the Lord is by putting into practice His commandments. So, the saved will be found faithful. Again, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus said, Be faithful until death. That is, even in the face of death, you be faithful. The promise is the crown of life. Not only will the saved be found faithful, but John says they will find favor. Look again at verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Sometimes we talk about finding favor in the eyes of others. We as a nation of people have been favored by the providential goodness and graciousness of God. We talk about the liberties and the freedoms that we enjoy in this country unknown to a lot of other people. We have found favor in this country. And what John is saying is that those who do the commands of God, first they're going to be found faithful, and then secondly, they're going to find favor with God. They're going to be found in good standing. And then note if you would, they will find fortune. John said, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. He's talking here about heaven, isn't he? What's the destiny of the saved? It's heaven. You can read Revelation chapter 21. John talks about this new Jerusalem. Listen to him if you would. Verse 2. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now, listen to verse 4. One of the characteristics of this heavenly home. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, it's in this context that in verse 5 He said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write for these words, listen to Him, are true and faithful. What God has said about heaven, true and faithful. You can bank on it. You can believe it. The Bible says God cannot lie. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote those words in Titus chapter 1, he said that we as children of God live in hope of life eternal. The hopes, the aspirations of every child of God is heaven, isn't it? Sometimes we ask the question, will it be worth it? 
Will it be worth it to sacrifice and to serve the Lord? The answer is yes. And John, in a very final and emphatic way, is saying, Look, you need to understand. As a child of God, heaven is before you. It will be worth it. So we talk about his final pronouncement. And he's saying that those who are found faithful will find favor. They will ultimately find fortune. They'll have the good fortune of being with God in eternity forever and ever and ever. Look, I can read about heaven. And as a child of God, I can sing about heaven. I can pray about heaven. I can think about heaven. But one day, the Bible says heaven will be a reality. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. In other words, many abiding places. He's saying, there's a place for you. You live faithfully, you live for God, you serve Him all the days of your life, and one day He'll reward you. Now, there's a flip side to that. First, the destiny of the saved, but then the destiny of those who are living in sin. Those who are living in a saved condition, the destiny of the saved, it's heaven. The destiny of those who are in sin, quite the opposite. We call it hell. Gehenna. So listen to him in verse 15. But outside, that is, in verse 14, he talks about those who will be within that heavenly city. But now he's talking about those who will be without that heavenly city. He said, but outside are dogs. And this would be a term that's used to describe those who are immoral, impure, unclean. Some said that it was a term that was often used to identify male prostitutes. And so Jesus said, outsider dogs and sorcerers, that is, those who engage in witchcraft, sexually immoral or fornicators and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Back up and look at verse 8. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 21, John identifies that heavenly home. He talks about the beauty of this home, beginning in verse 9 and following. But with regard to those who are one day found living in sin, he said, but the cowardly or the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their, their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here's what he's saying. You don't want to go to this place called hell. I promise you, you don't want to go. Several months ago, I was listening to the radio. And I was listening to two individuals talk about hell on the radio. And they, of course, they make their living in the entertainment industry. And they have a nightly program. And as I listened to them, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. They began to talk about where they wanted to go when they died, and they were talking about going to hell. But the picture that they painted of hell was not the picture that we read about in Scripture. It was far different. And they talked about how maybe the devil would be walking around with a tray of hors d'oeuvres and having drinks and different drugs, the drug of your choice, etc., and talked about how great this place would be and what the house band would be like and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? They really don't understand, do they? 
they really don't get it. There are a lot of people in the world today, they don't get it. They think when we talk about hell that it's just a punchline in a joke. It's not a joking matter. And what John is saying here by way of emphasis is this. Look, you need to understand there is a payday someday. Paul said the wages of sin is what? It's death, Romans 6, 23. On the one hand, you have those who have lived life glorifying God. They're the saved. Their life has been about serving the Lord, being faithful in His service. Have they had joys and frustrations in life? Yes. Have they had successes and failures? Again, the answer would be yes. Have there been adversities and trials and tribulations and all these other things? The answer would be yes. But they were faithful. They understood. Service has its rewards. The Hebrew writer said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Look, it's worth it. But then the flip side is, if you don't live for the Lord, if you're not numbered among His people, then you're in trouble. You ever been in a situation in life where, when you just knew you were in trouble? Years ago, I remember preaching for a congregation. One of our members had been battling, she had been battling cancer. And she was at that five-year mark, and I never will forget, she came in one afternoon we had a Mother's Day Out program at the congregation. She came walking in one afternoon and she said, I'm in trouble. She had just had some tests. And the test revealed that potentially her cancer was back, and it was back. She knew she was in trouble. Well, one day if you stand before God, and you're not in a safe condition, could I just say to you, you're in trouble? You just don't realize how bad the trouble will be. There's a third thing. A third group of final words. There is a final plea. There's a final promise, a final pronouncement, and there is a final plea. And I think about here John in writing to the saints in the first century and really writing to people of every age. And it's as if there is this last-ditch effort to reach the hearts and minds of people. You ever talk to somebody and you just wondered, am I getting through? Am I making contact? You know, sometimes we talk to people and they hear us, but they don't hear us, if you, know what I'm, if you know what I'm saying. Sometimes I wonder if what I say resonates with people. What John is trying to do is resonate with his readers, his listeners. He's trying to get through to them. And so, with that in mind, listen to this final plea. There is the invitation to salvation... And notice, if you would, the invitation to salvation. Listen to who, who is speaking. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts, Come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Look at verse 16 as well. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you things in the churches. 
I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. First, there is the invitation to salvation by the Savior. If we were to sum it up in one word, Jesus would say, come. You remember in Matthew chapter 11, a passage many of us have been reading since we were just little fellas. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. 2,000 years later, Jesus is still saying, come. You need to understand, the Lord wants you to be saved. If you're not in a safe condition, if you're not living for God, the Lord wants you to be His child. Jesus came, lived, and died for you. Remember what Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What about Matthew 20, verse 28? When he said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for the many. Jesus, can't, Jesus Christ came to redeem you. He came so that you might enjoy reconciliation. If you're lost, you won't be able to lay it at the feet of Jesus. He's done everything to save you. Jesus went to the cross and died so that you might have eternal life. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Is there an abundant life to be enjoyed here and now? Yes, there is. Is there life to enjoy later? Yes, there is. But then he said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ wants you to be saved. So first, there's the invitation to salvation by the Savior. But then secondly, there's the invitation to salvation by the Spirit. Listen to him. And the Spirit says what? says, come. That's the Holy Spirit. We have preserved for us the words of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Bible. And you can't read the Scriptures without coming to an understanding that there is a desire for you to be right with God, for you to enjoy the blessings of salvation. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul centuries ago to write that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Or what about 2 Peter chapter 3, when God, through the Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Spirit, working through Peter, said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. And the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, is saying, look, you need to come. The Savior is saying, come. The Spirit is saying, come. And then the saints, they too are saying, come. Listen to what he says. The Spirit and the bride say, come. That's the church. We are the bride of Christ. And John, in writing the Revelation, is saying, first and foremost, the Savior says, come. Secondly, the Spirit says, come. Thirdly, the saints, that is every child of God, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we're saying to an unbelieving world, we're saying to those who are outside the body of Christ, come. Why is that? Because that's our, that's our job, isn't it? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do you think the early church, when they suffered persecution as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 8. And the Bible says they were all scattered abroad, and those who were scattered abroad, you know what they did? They went everywhere preaching the Word. Why did they go everywhere preaching the Word? Because they had a message that needed to be heard. 
They had a message that could save the hearts and lives of people. As Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Did you know that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? We are God's voice, aren't we? We're supposed to be reaching people with the gospel. We have the responsibility to teach others the gospel. Why? Because they'll be lost. And so here is, as we would say, this final plea. Now we talk about the invitation to salvation given by the Savior. The Savior says come. Given by the Spirit. The Spirit says come. Given by the saints. The saints say come. But note if you would, to whom it's been given. Let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You know what Jesus, you know what John is saying here? He's saying, number one, if you're thirsty, come. There are people today that are thirsting for a better way of life. I can promise you there are a lot of folks in our world today, they've tried everything, just like Solomon in days gone by. They've tried immorality, and you know what they found out? It's not fulfilling. They've tried finding satisfaction, happiness, contentment in things, and you know what they found out? It's not there. They've tried finding satisfaction and contentment in power, not there. How many people in our world today have looked for happiness and contentment and satisfaction in fame? What did they find out? It's not there. It's not there. So they're thirsting for something better. There are some people in our world today, right now, they have, as we would say, everything. They have the new car in the driveway. They have the beautiful home, the lavish furnishings. They have designer clothes. They have everything, but they have nothing. And there are people in our world today, they have everything, but they don't have anything. And today, right now, how many people in that condition are thinking, you know what, what's life all about? How many people are thinking how miserable and discontented they are in life. I promise you there are a lot of folks, there are even people in our world today, they're contemplating exiting this life because to them, just not worth living. And let me tell you what, if you're thirsty, the Bible says come. And then what about those who are tired? They're tired, they're tired of a life of sin. They're tired of the bondage they're tired of the guilt. In Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise is, he said, I'll give you rest. There are folks that are tired and weary and hurting. And, and let me tell you what. The only source of comfort is the Lord. And then what about those who are troubled? There are people in our world. Look, you may be here today and you're troubled. You're thirsty. You're tired. Isaiah, many, many years ago, and Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus came to earth. And here's what he said. The wicked have no peace, says my God. All he's saying is, 
you can't really enjoy peace and happiness and satisfaction and contentment outside of God. It's just not there. And did you know that Isaiah foretold of the coming of the Prince of Peace? And Jesus came to do what? He came to give you peace. When Jesus was born, the Bible says, those angelic beings cried out, Glory to God in the highest. He said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, Speaking of Christ, For He Himself is our peace. And Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, said that those who have been justified by faith have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So look, if you're here today and you're thirsty and you're tired and you're troubled, you need to come. Listen again to what John said. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who thirsts, or hears rather, come. Let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. There's a fourth thing, a final prohibition. Look at verses 18 and 19. Again, we're talking about final words. There's a final promise. There's a final pronouncement. There's a final plea. And there's a final prohibition. And again, John in writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying, look, you need to think about how you, how you handle your Bible. So look at him in verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. All he's saying is, look, we don't need modern-day revisionists, do we? We don't need somebody to change and corrupt the Scriptures. We don't need to compromise the Scriptures. Not at all. Over and over again, the Bible talks about not supplementing the Word. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Moses said, Add not unto his word. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, we're instructed not to add unto his word, lest he reprove us and we be found a liar. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, We're not to go beyond the things that are written. Sometimes individuals want to reconstruct and revise the Scriptures. They want to make it politically correct. And what, what John is saying is, Look, you need to be careful. You need to respect the Word of God. He's talking about how you handle the Word, the care that we demonstrate towards Scripture. Well, what about the consequences? Well, they're grave. If you supplement the Word, if you subtract from the Word, then all John's saying is you're in trouble. Listen to him in verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. You know what he's saying? Don't tamper with the Bible. Read it. Meditate upon it. Respect it. Honor it. Obey it. You do that, you'll be in good company. Matter of fact, you do that, well on your way to heaven. I don't know what my final words will be in life. I don't know what yours will be. But I know this. At some point in time, every good thing comes to an end. That includes life. At some point in time, we will utter our final words. What will it be? I read several years ago about a religious man who was 
was dying. And on his deathbed, he cited Psalm 46. He said, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Where are you today spiritually? John in the Revelation is saying, Look, before you lay this book down, you need to understand there are some things that you need to consider. You need to soberly consider what's being said and then just honor it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're thirsty and tired and troubled, there's hope. You know what the Bible says? Come. Come and I'll give you rest. What would you need to do? Well, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. And then repent, just like they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. The Bible says then, you have the opportunity to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, you'll be among the saved, well on your way to heaven. Then just be faithful. The promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be as, as a child of God. Maybe you've not lived up to the expectations set forth in Scripture. You've stumbled, fallen. Look, we're here to pray with you and for you. We'd be happy to do that. Whatever your need may be, would you come and sing with us as we stand?